Welcome back to Brailcast Extra, and coming up this time, an introduction to Linux, a session recorded on Tuesday the 17th of January 2023, and hosted and moderated by Ben Mustel-Rose. Good evening, and a very warm welcome to this evening's meeting brought to you by the Brailis Foundation. This evening's masterclass is the second in our series of computer science-themed masterclasses and is all about Linux. Now, from laptops to coasters, braille displays to toasters, if you follow the tech news, you probably will have heard of Linux in one form or another, but sometimes these uh, tech words can be a little bit mysterious. You know, what, what is Linux? I've heard about this thing. It keeps on popping up, but what it is, uh, what is it exactly? Uh, what can it do and how do I get started? Well, this evening we're hoping to lift the lid on Linux a little bit and uh, we're going to be doing so using technologies that you're hopefully already familiar with and I'll be talking a little bit more about that in a moment or two. Before we get started though, I'd like to introduce Ed Rogers from Bristol Braille Technologies who's going to be telling us a little bit about how these classes came to be, what we're trying to do with them, and some interesting projects that BBT are doing around Braille in computer science. Uh, Ed, good evening. Good evening, Ben. How are you this evening? I'm doing well, thanks. Looking forward to this. Yeah, so I've been looking forward to this for quite a while now. And uh, as you said, this to these masterclasses are sponsored by Bristol Braille in partnership with the, the Braillists. And this is all funded by a grant which we were given by the UFI Vocational Tech Trust. It's a bit of a mouthful, but in short, they look at uh, innovative technology which can help people advance in their careers and take up new careers. And that's why we're focusing on Braille and computer science because the two are so powerful together. And these masterclasses are a part of that project. And what we're also doing alongside this, though, is we are traveling the country, currently the UK, but we hope to go abroad in the near future. We've already been to Ireland as well with new prototype uh, devices, which we're developing as part of this broader project of promoting Braille and computer science. The device which we've been uh, touring and showing around is called the Canute console. Now, some of you will know that uh, Bristol Braille developed the Canute e-reader. This is a multi-line e-book reader. It's the, uh, the only uh, retail multi-line display for, I think, I think there's a couple more on market now, but this is a nine-line display, 360 cells, and it's used for reading e-books, which is nice. But what we're developing now is the console, which is about um, turning it into a, a page of uh, Braille straight from your computer using the stuff which Ben is going to be talking about in a minute. This is the power of being able to bend the computer to your will and be able to output diagrams, create tables, write text, write programs. Um, so if you're interested in that side of things, being part of these trials of new hardware, doing things with multi-line Braille, then you can contact us at inquiries at bristolbraille.org. We'll just go to the website, bristolbraille.org. Um, and yeah, we can talk more about some of the projects we've been doing after, after, we've, um, after we've just gone through the basics of what actually is Linux. Um, so, uh... Linux. Well, 
Um, what, what are we going to be doing? As, as we mentioned, this is a bit of an intro to Linux, and we're going to be doing it using technologies that you're already familiar with. And um, I mentioned that for uh, a couple of important reasons. Um, I first off want to start up by giving a massive shout out to all of the fine folk that are working on native Linux accessibility. Linux has a fairly mature set of accessibility capabilities. There's SpeakUp, which is a screen reader. There's BRL TTY, which some of you may be familiar with, which handles Braille. Um, we're not going to be using those today, however. We're going to be using, um, in this instance, we're going to be controlling Linux via Windows, although, of course, there are many, many other ways to do that. The reason that we've taken this approach is because we're focusing largely on uh, computer science in the workplace. And uh, what we find is that actually, if you are having to uh, look after, administer a Linux box at work, A, you may not have physical access to it to connect a Braille display. And B, even if you do, you may not actually have permission to install accessibility-related software on it. So this is why we're doing it in the way that we are. I also just wanted to give a quick shout out to all the people that are here who know about Linux uh, already. I think two things that I'd say to you. Firstly, you're probably not going to learn too much from this. Uh, it is a uh, beginner class. However, if you do know about things like BRL, TTY, and you feel like you'd be able to run a masterclass on it, please email help at brailists.org, because we'll almost certainly want to be running one of those at some point in the future. And secondly, uh, throughout this class, I've tried to strike a balance between uh, explaining things in a way that is technically correct but also trying to lower the barrier of entry to uh, things like this. Now, I know that all of this stuff is very, very subjective. I've done my best to uh, try to make sure that everything is accurate whilst also hopefully being easy to understand. But if any of you feel like I've uh, messed up or made a mistake, please accept my apologies. So. I've already mentioned Linux more times than I can keep track of, but I haven't actually told you what it is yet, so let's take care of that now. Linux, in a nutshell, is a selection of what you might call core software that can be used to make an operating system. Examples of operating systems being Windows 10, Mac OS, or Ubuntu, which is a distribution or flavor, if you will, of Linux. Now, I was trying to think of a sensible, non-technical way of explaining this, and the best analogy that I can come up with is one around cakes. So if you look at a chocolate cake, for example, you've got what you might class as your core ingredients, right? You've got your eggs, your sugar, your flour, your cocoa. And if you put those together in the right way, you make a basic chocolate cake. And it might not be that inspiring, but fundamentally, it's edible. 
But the key here is the customizations, right? So different people have different cake preferences. Uh, some people might like a chocolate cake with buttercream and icing and sprinkles on it. Whereas for me, I'm a bit of a precious soul, so I don't like shop-bought icing unless it's an M&S iced and spiced bun. So my ideal chocolate cake would be a nice gooey base with a chocolate ganache on the top with maybe some minstrels and chocolate buttons on top of that to decorate it. And so what you're able to do when you make your cakes is customize them based on your preferences and your requirements. And the same sort of thing is true for Linux distributions. So as I say, a distribution is a flavor, if you will, of Linux that is uh, customized for a specific use case. And there are many different kinds of distributions. There are distributions for fridges, smart speakers, TVs, braille displays and braille note takers. Uh, there are distributions for people who like to play games. There are distributions for servers, so uh, typically fairly powerful computers that do things like run websites, databases, or corporate applications. And then there are distributions that are aimed at the sort of more typical consumer that want an experience like Windows, including a handful of distributions that are targeted at blind people. Now there are many, many different ways to get started with Linux. So I'm only gonna cover a few of them in this class and I'm only gonna give you an overview of each of them because to be honest, this is the sort of thing that is maybe a little bit too complex to attempt to do live. Now, if you have a modern version of Windows, so Windows 10 or newer, probably the easiest way to get started is to use WSL, which is a tool that lets you in non-technical terms run Linux from within Windows. Equally, if you have access to macOS, you're probably going to be fine getting away with just using your terminal. If you're wanting something a bit more adventurous, or if you don't have access to a modern version of Windows, i.e. if you're running Windows 7, you can sign up for a free trial from a company like DigitalOcean, for example. DigitalOcean will give you a 60-day free trial of all of their services, which will, amongst other things, let you spin up a virtual server running Linux. Although if you take this route, don't forget to cancel before the trial ends. Lastly, if you're feeling really adventurous, you could purchase a computer which is known as a Raspberry Pi. Now this is a small but incredibly capable palm-sized computer, which depending on how much equipment you already have is probably gonna cost you around 40 pounds or so. That's gonna let you do many, many different things, but one of the things that it'll let you do is try Linux, either interacting with the Raspberry Pi directly using a keyboard, or remotely through Windows or Mac OS. Now, depending on which methods you use, you may be asked which distribution you want to get started with. Now, there are many different options here, but I would suggest Ubuntu as a good starting point. In fact, that is the distribution that we're gonna be using for the demos that you'll be hearing in a moment or two. Having said this, if you're using a Raspberry Pi, you'll most likely be using a distribution called Raspbian, which is similar to Ubuntu, but it does have some differences. The differences won't be big enough to uh, represent a problem though. All right, so enough rambling then, let's get started. Now, as I mentioned previously, I'm gonna be running Ubuntu within WSL. I'm using NVDA as my screen reader. Now, depending on your setup, the steps you need to follow might be slightly different, but for me, I'm just going to open my start menu. Start window. 
type Ubuntu. Ubuntu app. Press right to... So on and so on. And I'm going to press Enter, which is going to give me a lot of information uh, that I'm not going to interrupt. Um, we will hear what it has to say, and then I'll point out the parts that are relevant once it's done babbling on. Ubuntu terminal blank. To run a command as administrator, use a root. Use sudo less command greater. See man sudo root for details. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp. Dollar. All right, so we got a bit of stuff there. We got some kind of message about running commands and how you do that. That's not really going to be relevant to this session, uh, but it will be something that you'll want to look into if you pursue this further. Now, the main thing that we want to focus on is that last bit there, that Ben at desktop, blah, 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 specifically the fact that there was a dollar there. Now, that is called the prompt, and that tells me a couple of different things. Uh, so firstly, uh, it tells me that my username is Ben, hence the Ben, and it tells me that my computer name is desktop, blah, 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 whatever it was. Now, that is going to vary depending on your setup, but the crucial thing to remember is that there is a dollar at the end of it, and there will almost always be a dollar at the end of that prompt. Now, that was pretty straightforward for me, but depending on your setup, you may be asked to log in. If you are asked to log in, it's pretty straightforward. Type your username, press enter, type your password, and press enter. Although note that similarly to how you enter passwords on websites, for example, your screen reader may not speak the characters. So I'm at my prompt now, and that means I am ready to run commands. So how do you run a command? Well, if you're familiar with DOS in the old days or the command prompt in Windows, it's pretty similar to that, to be honest. You type in the name of the command that you want, and then you press Enter. We're going to run a command or two in a bit, but a couple of tips first of all. Um, some commands have lots and lots of output. If you're finding it frustrating to review, firstly, your control key is your friend to stop your screen reader from speaking. And secondly, I would highly recommend using your screen reader's virtual cursor functionality to be able to arrow through the output of all of your commands. For me, that is NVDA plus up and down, although for JAWS, I would suggest using the various cursors that that has available. Again, consult the JAWS manual for some tips on that, just to give you one example. The other thing to remember is that sometimes, whilst commands will give you lots of output, equally, there'll be commands that won't give you any output at all. Now, that might seem counterintuitive, but in Linux, there's a convention that says that if a command has been successful in running, it won't print anything. That might seem, as I say, counterintuitive, but to be honest, you're just going to have to get used to that being the way that it is. Now, I would point out that whilst it's not impossible to break things here, it's quite hard. So if I enter a command that doesn't exist, for example, uh, hello, Ben, and press Enter. Hello, Ben. Command not found. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp. Dollar. There you are. So we got a command not found message. And again, we got the Ben at desktop, blah, 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 
with the dollar at the end, which tells me that the system is now ready to run another command. Now at the moment we're in what's called our home directory and our home directory is basically a place to store all of our files. Uh, files and directories on Linux work in exactly the same way that they do on Windows. Uh, directories contain files and files can be whatever you want them to be. The only real difference is that when we're navigating the system using this setup, which is sometimes called a shell, we have to navigate to the directories manually by typing in their names instead of using something like File Explorer where we would just be able to arrow through them. So let's run our first command then. I'm going to choose ls for our first command, or one word, and that is going to print a list of files and directories that are currently in my home directory. If you've used dir on Windows before, it's essentially that. So I'm going to type ls and press enter. ls. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp. Huh, that's interesting. So we didn't get any output. Well, why might that be? Well, in this instance, it's because there aren't any files or directories in our home folder because this is a new system that I set up last night, and so there isn't anything here for us to view. So let's make a new directory. I'm going to call mine documents. So to do that, I'm going to type mkdir, or one word, space, space, and then documents. And I'll press enter. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp. And again, as I say, note that we haven't had any output because the command was most likely successful. But if we run ls again, ls documents. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp. We can see that there is now a documents folder that's been created. So let's say I want to add something to my documents folder now. Let's say that I want to write myself a bit of a to-do list. Well, the first thing that we need to do is to change the directory to the documents folder. And you do that by using the cd, which is short for change directory, command. And that is done in the same way that you would do it on Windows or macOS, for example. So I'm going to type in cd documents. cd space d-o-c-u-n-e-n-t-s. I'll press enter. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp slash documents dollar. Now that's interesting because the prompt has changed now. You'll notice that just before the dollar we have slash documents. So that's a handy way of figuring out exactly where we are. It doesn't give you that when you're in your home directory, but if you're in a different directory, it will give you the, uh, the path, well, from your home directory to the uh, folder that you're in. So in this case, the path is just slash documents because it's the documents folder within the home directory. Let's quickly run the ls command once again. Um, bonus points if you can figure out what we will get here. Yes. And drum roll. Ben at desktop. And again, I'm using control to stop speech there. We got nothing because the documents folder is empty. Now let's think about how we would write a new file. As I say, I want to write myself a bit of a to-do list. Now there are many different text editors that are available using Linux, um, but I'm going to use one now called Nano. So we're going to type in Nano, N-A-N-O, and uh, we're going to call this file to-do. Uh, I'm going to 
just call it to do, all one word. Um, I don't have to give it a extension. Um, on Windows, you would typically give it a .txt extension. You can do that on Linux, but you don't have to. So I'm just going to call it to do. And we'll press enter again. New Nano 6.2 to do. New file. G helper write out W where is K cut T execute C location M U undo M A set mark. X exit R read file replace U paste J justify slash go to line M E redo M6 copy. And goodness me, wasn't that a lot of output? Now, this is the kind of thing that you'll sometimes have to get used to with Linux. It will sometimes tell you more information than is uh, needed necessarily. And that's me putting it politely. What I would say is often, unless you think you need to pay attention to something that it says, you can usually ignore it. And I'll be uh, sort of telling you how to do various things in Nano as we go along. But we are now in a position where we can start to write some notes. Now I want to include a combination of work and personal notes in this file. Um, so I'm going to start each of the lines with work or personal, then I'll write my notes. So uh, let's do, uh, let's write some notes then. Uh, so let's do some personal ones. L space um, message e e e e uh, personal space um, P R S. I need to get some parts 3D printed. Uh, P do a food shop. Uh, now let's do some work ones. Space um, uh, work P on e presentation. E Space. Submit talk idea. And uh, last, we'll say fix tests, although that one probably doesn't need to happen. So we've got a selection of notes here. Um, if you typed slower than me, or depending on what voice you're using, or of course, if you brailled them, you would, of course, get feedback as you were typing. Not to worry though, because like most other word processors, we can just arrow our way up, down, left, right through this file to see what we've written. So I'm going to go up. Work, fix test. Work, submit talk idea. Work, work on presentation. Personal, do food shop. Personal, 3D print parts. Personal, message ed. And so on and so on. So we can go down to the bottom of the file again. Blank. And we hear blank because it's a blank line. So now I'm done writing my to-do list. Uh, so I'm going to press Control-X, which is the uh, shortcut for exit. Save modified buffer. Why yes. And no C cancel. And it's given us a few options there. So basically, it's asking us if we want to save. So as it says, we can press Y for yes, N for no. Or if we want to cancel and go back to text editing, we can just press C. So I'm going to press Y. Y. File name to write, to do, g help md dos format ma append mb backup file. And again, we've given lots of information there, but what was handy in this instance is that the important bit was at the start. So it's asking us the file name that we want to use. It's letting us use the to do file because that was the file name that we gave it, but we could change it if we wanted to. I'm happy with to do, so I'm just going to press enter. To run a command as administrator, use a root, use sudo less command great. And so 
here we are back at our shell. Now, why did we get that to run a command thing again? Well, that's because that is still on the screen. So what NVDA did there was it saw that we were back at the shell and it did something fairly sensible and just started reading from the top of the screen. Now, this is where the review commands come in handy. So if I do NVDA plus down, blank. Okay, I'm at the bottom of the screen. I'm going to go up. Ben at desktop D6JF0HP slash documents dollar. Okay, so I know that I'm at my prompt. Ben at desktop D6JF0HP slash documents dollar nano to do. And that is just letting me explore the uh, the previous, uh, well, the, the existing output of the screen. So again, I'm using NVDA plus up and down to do that. If I wanted to clear the contents of the screen, if I thought that the screen was getting a bit too cluttered, I could type in clear, just C-L-E-A-R, and the screen is now cleared. So if we LS again, we'll see that we have a file called to do. To do which is what we would expect. And there are a few different ways that we can open this. Uh, we could open it in Nano, um, which is good if we want to add things to it. But let's say that we just want a quick reminder of the contents of the file. So one way that we can do that, again, many different ways, is to use the cat command. So cat takes the name of a file and it will show us its contents. So if I type in Cat space. And there are a couple of different ways I could do this. Let's say I type to do. Uh, uh. Well, that would work. So if I press enter. Personal message ed. Personal 3D print. And so on and so on. We get the contents of the file. But the beauty of actually many different command line interfaces, such as uh, the one that we're using, is that we can do what's called tab completion. So if I type in cat space. and then I type T. T. Then I press tab. Odo. What's happened there is it's figured out, OK, Ben's pressed tab, but he's already typed a T. So now that he's pressed tab, I'm going to look at all of the files in this directory. OK, there's only one that's beginning with T. So he must want the to-do file. And you heard speech uh, announce the rest of the word there. And again, we can just enter it. Personal message ed. And so on and so on. We get the contents of the file as we would expect. So now I'm going to try to explain what piping is to you. Why do I say it like that? Well, A, because it might take a bit of time, and B, it's perhaps not the easiest thing to explain. But I need you to stick with it because it's going to be good. Trust me, I'm a professional. Um, really quickly, before we get started, though, on this and at everything else that we're covering, don't worry if you don't get this right away. You know, you're not going to learn all there is to know about Braille in one hour, for example. And the same holds true for Linux. So in a nutshell, piping allows you to chain commands together. Why would you want to do that? Well, there are many different reasons. But let's say that you want to carry out a task and there isn't one command that does it all for you. You're going to have to use multiple commands. So that might be okay. You could type command one, enter, command two, enter, command three, so on and so on and so on. But that's not ideal for a couple of reasons. A, because you might actually not be able to do that depending on what it is you want to accomplish. And B, it's just a bit of a faff really. It would be far better if there was just one command that you could type that would do it all. And that's what piping does. 
So piping basically takes the output of one command and then sends it to another command to act as its input. So if we carry on with our cake analogies, let's say that you're working in a factory and there's some kind of production line that produces chocolate cakes, right? So the first person on that production line might take a chocolate cake out of the oven and put it on some kind of plate. Then they'll hand it to the person to their right who might do the icing on top. Then they'll hand it to the person to their right who will put some hundreds and thousands on top of the icing. And then they might hand it to the person to their right who will finally put the finished cake in a box, as an example. And what you have there is a system where everyone builds on the thing that came before it. And the same sort of thing is true for piping, where, as I say, one command is used as input to the next. So how are we going to demo this? Well, we're going to use a command called grep. And uh, the, the thing to remember about grep is that when you want to do something easy with it, it's quite easy. When you want to do something a bit different with it, it gets hard. But what I would say again is uh, two things. Firstly, don't be afraid to use Google. Um, you're not the first and you won't be the last. That's what it's there for. And secondly, don't worry if you learn how to do something like this and then forget it because you're not using it frequently. That happens to the best of us. So in a nutshell, grep lets you find text. And this is actually super, super useful. So I don't know about you, but there's been quite a few instances where as a screen reader user, I've been given a massive page full of text and I've only really been interested in one thing. And as a result, I've had to sort of find my way around the document using whatever navigation strategy I think is best until eventually, after a long time sometimes, I'll find the text that I want. And that's the kind of thing that sometimes is actually slower for us as blind people um, than it would be for a sighted person. Well, imagine if instead of having that page full of text, there was a way to say, just give me the thing that I'm interested in and nothing else. Well, that's what grep does and it's really, really useful. So let's use our to-do list as an example. So I'm gonna type cat to-do. space. And I'm not gonna press enter yet. I'm gonna press shift and backslash instead. Blah. Which has written a bar character, which is also known as the pipe character. Space. Now I'm going to type in grep space and in double quotes work quote quote and that is our first example of piping but let's before we press enter just have a quick recap on what we're doing so basically we're saying everything to the left of that pipe character the bar character should be used as input for everything to the right so grep will receive the contents of the to-do file and it will then output the lines of the file that contain the word work. So with all of that out of the way, let's finally press enter and see what we get. Work, work on presentation, work, submit talk idea, work, fix test. Ben at desktop D6JF0HP slash documents dollar. 
And there we have it. You can see there that despite the to-do file having some personal entries in it, we've only been given the work ones. Now you might not think that that is the most imaginative example ever, it's quite esoteric, but when you start doing more and more advanced things, piping will actually become really, really useful. Now we're going to look at redirection, and there are lots of things that are similar to piping here, so hopefully it won't be as hard for you to get your head around. Now by default, when we run a command like ls to do, it's going to send the output to the screen. But we don't actually have to send the output to the screen. We could send it to anywhere, really. We could send it to a printer. In the past, we used to send it to speech synthesizers. Um, but for this example, we're going to send it to a file. So if you recall, we've got our to-do file. And at the moment, that's got a mixture of work and personal notes in it. But let's say that I didn't really like that. I wanted to have a dedicated work to-do file. Well, what I can do is I can rerun that cat slash grep command that we just did and say, well, instead of print it to the screen, send the output to a file. Now, what I could do at this stage is rewrite the command. Uh, but that might take a bit of time. So what I'm going to do instead is explore the command history, which I can do with my up and down arrow. So if I press up. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp slash documents dollar ls. And we've got the ls, but if I press up again. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp slash documents dollar cat to do grep work. Ben at desk. We can hear that we have the command that we previously entered. So I'm going to press end. Space to get to the end of the line. Then I'm going to do a space. Space. Then I'm going to press Shift and full stop, which is the greater than sign. Greater. Then another space. Space. And I'm just going to call this file work to do. O-K-T-O-D-O. So again, what are we doing here? We're running cat for the to-do file, piping the output to grep, and then we're using the greater than symbol to say, right, run the command to the left of greater than, but instead of printing it to the screen, send it to the thing to the right of the greater than symbol, which in this case is our work to do file. And let's press enter. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp. And once again, we haven't received any output, which probably means the command was successful. So let's cat the work to do file. W. And I'm going to use tab completion once again uh, to save some time. So I'm going to press tab. Octodo. There we are. Enter. Work. Work on presentation. Work. Submit talk idea. Work. Fix test. And there you have it. And uh, we can open this file in the same way that we can do any other file. There's nothing special about it. Octodo. We can open it up in nano. New nano. And we can go to the bottom and add something new to it. Um, Work. Email James. Blank. There we are. And we can save again. Control X. Save modified buffer. Yes. Y. File name to write. We can just press enter because it's going to be work to do. And of course, we can keep on going. Uh, so probably the last command I'll show you 
really quickly is the date command. No prizes for guessing what this does. Uh, e. Tuesday the 17th of January 1424 and 21 seconds GMT 2023. Ben at desk. There you are, you get to uh, see what I'm uh, recording this demo for you. And we can use output redirection once again here. So let's say, for example, that I wanted a line at the end of the file that contained the date and time that I last modified it. Well, there are a couple of different ways that I can get that information, but one way that I can do that is if I type date, uh, e, space. then I'm going to type two greater than signs. Greater, greater, space. And then I'm going to type in Work to do again with tab completion. Now, the reason that I've done two greater than signs is because if you do one greater than sign, it will overwrite the contents of the file. So if I was only to do one, it would delete all of the work notes and just make a work to do that just has the date in it. So one greater than if you're creating a new file or you don't mind the contents being overwritten, two greater thans if you want to keep the original contents. So let's enter that. Ben at desktop. There we are. And then let's cat work to do. Todo. Work. Work on presentation. Work. Submit talk idea. Work. Fix test. Work. Email James. Tuesday the 17th of January 1428 and 28 seconds GMT 2023. Ben at desktop D6JF0HP slash documents dollar. So there you go, just a very, very brief intro to the kind of things that you can do in Linux. And there's much, much more, of course. And um, now uh, I was using speech, obviously, throughout all of that demo. Uh, one of the challenges of, uh, of demoing Braille in a masterclass like this is that, of course, it doesn't really make that much noise. And so it's kind of hard to demo uh, some aspects of Braille, although even though I was using speech, you can definitely do all of that stuff in Braille as well, and it's not going to be hugely different. Um, before we go to hands, I'm going to come to Ed first. Um, a, a few questions for you, actually. Um, well, well, we'll take it in parts. Firstly, what did I miss? And secondly, uh, I think it's probably fair to say that we are really just scratching the surface there with what you can do with Linux, right? We are very much scratching the surface. But what what makes it worthwhile, I think, is quite when you start to realize the power of piping, for example, there are so many very powerful, very simple commands like grep, which do one thing, and there's lots hundreds of them and you can just pipe one to the other to the other and before you know it you've built a program that does something amazing that no one else has thought to do before and all you did was go on google and look up some different linux commands and then stick them all together in a line or put them in a file so it's scratching the surface but once you get the basics you can really start to play around um in terms of what you missed i don't think you missed much that that um that i didn't think of it anyway uh, one of the things you said you definitely said this is don't be afraid to google it and actually, especially there's a website out there called Stack Overflow, which you would come across if you do this. But if you just, whatever you're, whatever sort of, wherever you get stuck doing something, you can just type it verbatim into Google, you know, how do I save a file using Nano? And the answer will come back to you. Just put the word Linux in front of it and then ask your question. There's so many people out there having exactly the same problems. 
Um, so you can get out of your sticky situations quite easily that way. There are two things I thought we'd mention as a very easy thing to help people avoid, uh, Ben, because I know this always catches um, people out and it definitely caught me out for a long time. One is Linux, rather like UEB, is particularly fussy about capitals. So you need to make sure that if your to-do file has a capital T and lowercase the rest, you have, to, you have to write it, otherwise it won't find it, it won't like you. And the other one is Linux uses spaces to separate things. Just like you, you would have noticed Ben them using spaces between the commands. So if you want to have some text, like a file name or anything else which has a space in it, you have to put quotes in there. That's the only thing I could think of in sort of a couple of little things that can trip people up. Definitely. And it's it's worth pointing those out in particular because those are two examples of things that, um, despite there being some things that are similar to Windows, those two things are sort of quite profoundly different, in particular the the casing, uh, the casing point you made there. And it's worth also pointing out that even though I was running Ubuntu from within Windows, I was running Ubuntu. So you know, it's not it's not like Ubuntu gives you a concession because it realizes you're a Windows user or anything like that, unfortunately. And we're going to come to Scott in a moment or two. Um, but Ed, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit and and ask you, uh, we, we, we talk a bit about this sort of all-powerful thing, um, monolith called Linux. Um, can you give us an example, though? What, what would you say the most, well, uh, exciting or just interesting project or two is that you have made that has involved Linux in one way or another? Well, the timing is quite good. I'm actually on my way back from just having visited uh, Margaret and Roger Wilson-Hind, and we've been doing some demos of a, of a product. We, I've just described it to you earlier, the Canute console. That's a multi-line braille display with a keyboard that runs Linux. But you said right at the start, one of the ways that you can uh, explore this uh, Linux yourself is by buying a Raspberry Pi. How we did this was we bought a Raspberry Pi all in one computer. It's called a Pi 400. Very handy if you can get your hands on one. So it comes rather than on a little motherboard, you actually get a, a keyboard and then a little computer inside the keyboard. And you can just plug that into a monitor or speakers or braille display, which is what we've plugged it into, the Canute braille display. And then you can just start to play around. So, in fact, we've got someone on the, um, on the call today, Theo, who we're doing some, some really exciting stuff with, uh, with a, a, another um, funder partner, um, which will be announced uh, later in the year. But what I was, something I was doing today, which you, I really thought of, when I was listening to your, your talk just now, was Roger was telling me last night is that it would be interesting to be able to to be able to see a pitch from a football field and see how the ball moves around it as you move through a game. And we were talking about that and we said, well, it's probably possible with a with a braille display, and it's definitely possible with a braille display when you've got multiple lines. So going on the Going on the command line, the shell, which you mentioned is another word for um, the command line, I strang together some of these commands that you talked about, pretty similar to the, the process you just talked about. We just downloaded a file off the internet, which just tells you who kicked the ball when and where the ball went. You can download those for free. And then it just uh, looked at that, looked for the first event, which was kickoff, looked at, look, and then 
did it basically did a grep to find who the player was that did that kickoff did another grep to find out where the position of the ball moved to and from and it we just started drawing the ball moving around this display with the time at the top and that was just a couple hours and i didn't i can't really program i just strung together some commands using pipes and i thought i thought that was that was uh a remarkable example of how someone you don't need to be able to be to be uh, to be very experienced at this just to start using it. Definitely, and um, I'm I'm um, very much looking forward to hopefully seeing that uh, seeing that demo at some point. Uh, great example, Ed. Uh, going to come to questions now. We're going to come to Scott first, and after Scott, we're going to come to uh, Robin. Uh, Scott, you are good to go. All right, thank you. I was. I'm curious to know, especially with the Raspberry Pi, if it is a, if it's possible to, like, say, I'm the man, I'm the user of the Mantis, which has the QWERTY keyboard, uh, to actually have a direct USB connection between the Mantis and the Raspberry Pi, such that you could use it, use the Mantis as the keyboard and Braille display, in as for the Raspberry Pi. Yes, so uh, so I'll I'll take this one, but Ed, for any of these, feel free to jump in. So the Raspberry Pi is accessible out of the box with speech. It is possible to buy a pre-set up device to the point where you can plug it in, leave it for a bit, and it'll start talking. Um, I don't know if you get Braille out of the box, unfortunately. If anyone does know, please feel free to jump in. Maybe you get Braille tiki wires, but it does. It's, it was it using Orca. Yes, yes. So it's using Orca, and it will come up speaking the first time you you come on to the. Uh, I come on. think Ben that Braille TTY actually is installed because Orca requires it, doesn't it? I mean, Orca uses Braille TTY to control the Braille display. It uses it, but I don't know if it. Really... So if I were to get one and turn it on, and uh, you know, plug it in, turn it, I guess it means may, may need charging for. If I were to get one of the Raspberry Pis and you know, connect it to my Mantis and turn it on and just wait, then it would eventually start talking and I could start typing commands and such or whatever. You'll definitely get speech and you'll get enough speech to set up Braille, um, although I'm not sure whether you'll get Braille by default. Right. Okay. But I mean, if, as long as I can get it as a, key, as a keyboard, use it as a keyboard and get speech, that's you know, the initial setup could certainly be done that way and then get Braille, Braille going after that. Yeah, definitely. And there's a really interesting, really helpful group called Raspberry VI. Um, one letter change, but totally, totally different meaning. Uh, it's an email group full of blind people who play around mm -hmm. with Raspberry Pis. And um, we get a lot of people on that group asking questions like that and wanting to get started. So, um, Am I right in saying, Ben, that um, Mike Ray, who's one of the people on that group, actually developed one of the early um, an operating system specifically for speech on the Raspberry Pi? Yes, I think he had a hand in doing it. So, so the Raspberry Pi accessibility journey has a been a bit of a journey, putting it politely, and b it's been a bit of a long one. So, I got my first Pi when they came out in 2012, and um, it very much didn't come up talking then. And even if you did install speech at the time it was crackly to the point where it was pretty unusable and Mike did some great work um, 
that uh, effectively allowed people to to get started using speech on it properly. Although all credit to the Raspberry Pi Foundation uh, because they've done a fair amount of work to implement accessibility into their Raspbian operating system uh, these days. Going to come to Robin now, and after Robin, uh, we're going to go to Steve. Uh, Robin, you are good to go. Hi Ben, thanks. Um... I'd like to ask two questions, if that's okay. One to you. Would you be able to just say a few words about how you find the graphical uh, desktop side of Linux now and whether it's kind of uh, competitive with Windows? With um, and then I wondered if I could just ask Ed, maybe it's not strictly on topic, but the um, the device that he mentioned that he's developing, what's the kind of, what's the resolution of that? Is is it um, limited to six dot cells, or could it um, show kind of finer details such as uh, data plotted on a graph? Do you want to go first, Ed? Yeah. So, uh, what we're using is the Canute three hundred and sixty display, which is, and we're then putting that inside a workstation. So it's kind of like the L Braille. You have a Braille display sitting on it. Um, so it's using the Canute 360 display. And the Canute 360 display is 40 cells wide and it's nine lines deep, so it's 360 cells. Um, you can, of course, just use it as a Braille display um, uh, use, and it is six dot Braille. In terms of that, so that's the, that's the basic resolution. Now, of course, you can represent pin patterns and you can, and you can create um bar graphs and charts and tables and and uh diagrams using that but there are limitations using that of, of the, on that resolution and one of them is that you want to mostly do hard um vertical and horizontal lines or if you're going to to plot a graph for example a line um it's best to do that using using bar graphs so it works well for bar graphs but if you were going to do a um, to do it to a smooth curve, that wouldn't necessarily work so well. So you just have to be playful with what how you're using it. And of course, you can then, because it's interactive, you can zoom in on the image and then the resolution works better for you. And then you zoom out to get the context. Cool. Is, is having kind of higher resolution things something that you would be considering in the future? Or? One of the problems with high resolution, and apart from the physics of making the pins closer together, which is very, very hard and doesn't, I mean, there's, there's no real Braille display on the market, which, can be, is, which is even suggesting it's going to get closer than 2.5 millimeters closer to each other. And the other problem is your ability to sense it, even if it was possible. So uh, it's not likely, it's better to focus on how we can make the most out of that 2.5 millimeter spacing. Sure. Okay, cool. I might get in touch with you. Thanks. Please do. Cool. And for, for my question, I, I'm guessing based on, on the, the way that you phrase that, you've, you've had a little bit of experience of trying this before. And I mean, this is, this is kind of one of those questions where you, you answer it and you're going to offend a, a certain subset of, of the audience, no matter what, what stance you take. I think, so if, if I take a long-term view, it's undoubtedly got better. And it's really, really nice to see um, a distro like Debian um, and, and Arch has come a long way, I, I would say as well. To the point where you can you can legitimately install it on your own, and you know it's it's a decent enough level of accessibility that you can 
open Chromium now. Chromium did some decent work around accessibility a couple of years ago. You can open Chromium, browse the internet, you can do some decent amounts of word processing and use a terminal. I would say that it's sort of still, and again, this is sort of all subjective. For, for me, it's still uh, something that sort of doesn't always just work. I think that varies quite a lot on the depending on the distribution. Um, I know there are some blindness-specific ones uh, where it's maybe a bit more finessed. Uh, I suppose it depends on what you what you want, right? So, I mean, I know lots of IT people who use Linux, which is great. Um, for for me, I do. I, I'm a software engineer by day, so I want to sort of limit the amount of tech stuff that I'm forced to do in in my evenings. I don't mind doing tech stuff that I want to do, um, but I also don't want to try and troubleshoot an accessibility issue. So I, I think to answer your question, it, it's it's definitely definitely better than it was, you know, sort of five ten years ago. Um, whether it is on par with Windows, for, for me, that's still uh, a bit debatable. But, um, you know, give, give it a go, you know, spin up, spin up a virtual machine and, uh, and see, see what you think. When I, if I can jump in, Ben, just briefly, one of the things that we're focusing on here, rather than, it, it, of course, people can have a go at using uh, this as their desktop computer at home, but we're, we're looking at Linux because if you're interested in computer science and you're looking at it as some sort of career or taking part in a project with other people, at some point you're going to have to encounter uh, uh, Linux. And that's the sort of focus we're going on here. So we're, we're thinking about the sort of um, when you need this, here's how to understand it. And it's very powerful and you can really go a long way with it. But you may not want to use it at home when you just want to get your emails. You don't have to. And, and that was a very sort of clear uh, decision that we made. Uh, and there's no sort of right or wrong way to doing it. It was more what what's the context of the class and realistically how much can you do in sort of half an hour or so of discussion. Thanks for that, Robin. Great stuff. I'm uh, going to come to Steve now. And after Steve, we're going to go to Theo. Uh, Steve, you are now unmuted. Hi, Ben. Hi, guys. Great session. Um, a couple of things really following on that in a way from the last last um questions uh, um obviously because you you're going at this from a, a kind of a computer science educational perspective I, i'd see why you've started in straight on the command line uh, rather than discussing GUI. but in general would you say from you I, I haven't used linux in a few years i used ubuntu a few years back and uh with speech and i found orca worked really well in some parts of the operating system and some applications and uh, not so well elsewhere. Would you say for somebody wanting to maybe start out or dabble a bit in Linux, would you recommend sticking to the command line with a Braille display just for for a better experience? I think it probably depends on, on where you've come from, what your technology is, and to be honest, how enthusiastic you are. Um, I don't, if you have command line experience, then Yes, I would say that is probably quite a sensible route to take. Obviously, play around with the GUI as well. But yeah, if you if you know the command line, I would say that that would be quite a good strategy. Um, if you haven't used the command line before, then that might be quite a big change for you to to get used to. I would I would suggest. And also to um, to emphasize em emphasize 
again, I know you mentioned this, Steve, the, the, the sort of the focus, the educational or employment focus we're taking on this. The re one of the reasons we're doing the command line is because you might SSH into uh, a server where it's quite likely there wouldn't be um, a desktop. So that's why we're um, taking, uh, so we're just assuming that, we're assuming that that person may not have a desktop uh, to, to go on to. And I'm guessing if, if you find uh, you're in the shell and it's accessible with a Braille display, whatever you're doing is going to be pretty accessible. Whereas if you're using it through a GUI, then yeah, it could vary quite significantly depending on what you want to do. You don't know where, where it's going to work and not work in the GUI. And just as a, as a sort of supplementary question, do you tend to use um, computer Braille when you're, when you're working on the command line as opposed to you know, UEB or, or anything else for that matter? Um Typically, yes. I will put my hands up and say that my sort of workflow with um, sort of programming is speech first, then Braille. I think for me, and, and, that, and again, this is sort of very subjective. I think for me, it's one of those things that supplements it. But on the flip side, I do know people who are Braille first, then speech. So definitely, definitely possible to do. Um, thanks for that, Steve. Probably last hand for the session this evening is going to be Theo. Uh, Theo, you are good to go. So I have a question, which is for the Canute console, which I'm trialing at the moment, would you be able to make piping extensible enough to, for example, display a tree of directories starting from the home directory sort of tactilely on the display? Would that, or would that be something which would need a long and complex sort of Python file or something to write? I'll try not to make everyone else fall asleep, Theo, but if you, the, I suggest installing so you can use i won't go into how we install it because that would be spoilers for how, what we might do in the future but there's an app called ranger um and we can talk about this off the call if you um find that interesting i try installing ranger r-a-n-g-e-r and what that does is that's sort of a bit it's sort of halfway to one of the things ben mentioned is that there, for everyone else is that there isn't a there isn't a um um a a file manager in the in Linux um, uh, command line. So you get programs like Ranger, which sort of take you halfway there. You type that in, and then you can move up and down the files and try and select them. So have a, you could have a go at that, and we can see if that works for you. And this is a pilot, so if it does work for you, we'll take that on, and we'll, if it doesn't, we'll try and make it work. Thank you, Theo. Thank you, Ed. And of course, as always, thank you to you, our lovely audience. Bit of a different session this evening. Hope you all found it useful. Once again, my name is Ben Mostel-Rose. Thank you for coming. Stay safe, take care, and goodbye for now. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Brailcast Extra. You can find more Braille-related content by subscribing to Brailcast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice, or listening to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailleists everywhere on your smart speaker. For the latest information about future Brailleists events and how to join live, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter at brailleists.org slash newsletter slash sign up. You can also visit our events page at brailleists.org slash events. If you have comments on this recording or suggestions of topics or guests for future events, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at braylists.org. You can also find the Braylists on Twitter at Braylists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Braylists Foundation. 
Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. We welcome new listeners and live participants alike. So if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at the Braillists, thanks for listening and bye for now.